Good morning. This, evening, uh, this morning's reading is from Revelation chapter 2. We're starting on verse 8. For those who may wish to follow it, it is on page 1, 2, 3, 4 of the Church Bibles. To the church in Smyrna. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I knew about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Thank you, Sue. So uh, today we're continuing. Um, I think you can see, can you? Yes. Uh, today we're continuing uh, with our, our series looking at these letters uh, to these churches, uh, these seven churches. Uh, and here's a kind of a, you know, a computer-generated image of what they, they thought Smyrna uh, looked like. Uh, but in Smyrna, the topic that was uh, on every Christian's lips uh, was that of death. I mean, death is something that we're, uh, as a society, uh, we often kind of use other words for, don't we? We, we talk about passed away or moved on or, or gone to a different place. We, we don't like uttering those words on our lips. Uh, but for the Christian, uh, and Christians throughout all of uh, history, they've been those that have died well. Uh, they've been those that have uh, faced death with a completely different uh, outlook and perspective. Uh, and the reason is, is because uh, Christians view death in a completely different way. Uh, Jonathan Parnell uh, very helpfully said, um, uh, we die well when we call death gain, uh, which is not about what death gets us, but what death can't take away. Uh, for the Christian, uh, death is not gain because it gives us something great, but because even though it takes away everything else, it can't take away Jesus. Death is gained because when all is lost, we still have all we ever really wanted. And now we have him in a deeper, richer experience that, as the Apostle Paul says, is far better. Isn't that wonderful? Death is gained not because we literally gain something, we're given something, but we're reminded that we, it cannot take away what we have. which is Jesus. 
And so as we come to this letter in Smyrna, as we look at this letter, we're going to hear Jesus say to this church, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Jesus cannot be taken away from you. And so to each one of us, he will say, do not be afraid. Jesus cannot be taken away from you. So let's pray as we start. Father, we thank you for this letter. We thank you for all these letters. And we pray, Lord, as we come to look at them this morning, that we may lift up our heads and our hearts to see you, to know you, to know your right hand upon us, to know those words that say, do not be afraid. And we may therefore long to live for you until we see you. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, Smyrna, where is uh, Smyrna? Well, it's in um, modern-day Turkey. It's the only uh, place of of our seven Letters, seven cities that are still an, an active sort of civilization, active settlement. The others obviously still exist. Uh, but this uh, Smyrna, which is now called Izmir, uh, is the only place which is actually a, a proper uh, city uh, today. Uh, it was a city that was uh, burned to the ground in 600 BC uh, and then uh, came back to life again in 300 years later, in 300 BC. It's a city that um, has a, a natural port. I don't know if you can see there, that, uh, sort of where it is. It just creates this, this safe haven of a harbour. And so it enabled uh, the ships to come in and winter there uh, well. And because of that, it built up a, a large civilization. Uh, it would have um, beautiful buildings going up uh, the hills. Uh, so it looked like a, a crown uh, upon its head. Uh, And it was a a place uh, where the the Greek poet uh, Homer was born. Uh, And so just like we kind of, as English people, you know, revere William Shakespeare, the the greatest writer of all time, some say. Um, And so therefore, strapped upon Avon is is sort of special. Uh, So for Homer and the Greeks, Smyrna was special because that's kind of the equivalent. It was a a, a place... uh, which was uh, cultured in all sorts of ways. It was a, a place that in AD 26 built, beat all other competition to be the place where the, the temple was built to the emperor Tiberius. Uh, that will become significant as we uh, look through the history of Smyrna. Uh, because what happened was that the emperors, you know, as you can imagine, had a, a slightly high view of themselves uh, and actually uh, thought they were gods. Uh, certainly later as it went on, uh, they weren't simply become, becoming gods after they died. They thought they were actually gods walking and talking. Uh, and so this was one of the, the first temples that was built. And that sort of uh, emperor worship uh, only got sort of stronger uh, and stronger. It, it was a, a, a modern, cultured city. So what was it like then to, to live uh, in this place? What was it like for the, for the Christian to live uh, in this place? Uh, well, it was a, a place where uh, civil and religious life was completely meshed. That's a, a picture of Emperor Tiberius. Uh, and so if you wanted to get ahead in life, if you wanted to have the important jobs, to have the important roles in society, you had to worship the emperor. 
you had to pay your due. You had to give the right sacrifices. If you didn't, well, if you didn't, then you couldn't be part of the guild. You couldn't get the jobs. You couldn't get any money. If you didn't go along with what the culture wanted you to do, you take a hit in your pocket. But actually, more than that, you would also take a hit in your body, be beaten, because you're, you're just a kind of an, an outlier. You know, really don't really matter. It doesn't matter what we do. So, so being a Christian really impacted you. It impacted you financially uh, and physically. And, and what was the, the, the church's relationship like to the Jews? Well, at the time, Christians were, were seen to be kind of a, a subsect of Judaism. And, and the church, therefore, was, was a mix. It was a mix of, of Gentiles, those who weren't Jews, and Jews. It was a mixed sort of congregation. But what it meant was that the synagogue in Smyrna was made up entirely of unbelieving Jews. And they didn't like the Christians. They didn't like the fact that people sort of saw them as a, sort of a subsect of Judaism. They didn't like that at all. And so they'd, they'd try to, to, to drive that wedge between them. And one of the things they did, as we heard in our reading, verse 9 was they would slander them, that they'd make up accusations. And because of that, because of the way they treat Christians, Jesus says, verse 9, I know about the slander of those who say they're Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. As I said, the, the church is made up of Jews and, Christian, uh, Jews and Gentiles. This is, this is not an ethnic think. I mean, Jesus himself was a Jew. The vision given to John, who was a Jew. This is not about ethnicity. Uh, rather, this is saying, if you can remember when we looked at sort of Abraham uh, before Christmas, uh, that all the promises of Abraham uh, found their fulfillment in Jesus. That Judaism really it, it finds its fulfillment in Jesus. So uh, therefore, for anybody who, who says that's wrong. Well, they're not sort of, they're not, as Jesus is saying, they're not sort of true Jews in that respect. In fact, they're, they're siding on the, the opposition to the gospel, so they're siding on the side of Satan, which is why he calls them, in verse 9, a, a synagogue of Satan. So the church found itself in a situation where every side it was facing persecution. It found itself where uh, they couldn't work as they may like or as they'd be able to gift it to because they wouldn't follow Caesar. They wouldn't say Caesar is Lord. And so they had no money. Uh, They'd be in a situation where they were being uh, beaten and abused physically uh, because they were Christians. Uh, They were being put in prison and even being killed. And it's to this church that Jesus writes his letter. 
this little church. And of the seven letters that we've got, there are, uh, there are two which are a bit different to the others. The uh, church in Smyrna and the sixth letter, church to Philadelphia. Uh, because neither of those, or, or, or I should say in all the other letters, uh, Jesus says, uh, this is really good, but you've got this. So just look up if you've got a Bible, just, just look up to, to verse four from last week. The church in Ephesus, verses one to three, this is really great, but then verse four, Yet I hold this against you. Or just uh, glance across to, to verse 14, the, the one we're looking at next week in Pergamum. Um, first few verses, great. And then verse 14, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. But here in Smyrna and then later in Philadelphia, uh, there's nothing. Uh, there is no word against them. It's just encouragement. It's just words to, to uphold and keep them. And you might remember as well that each of the letters, it, it links back to a part of that vision that we saw at the end of chapter one, that great vision that John had about who Jesus was. And each letter sort of links back to, to remind them of something. Well, what's the part he chooses? Verse eight. To the angel of the church in Smyrna, remember this is the angel of the church, that's sort of Jesus holding the, the heavenly reality of the church. To the angel of the church in Smyrna writes, these are the words of him who is the first and the last, uh, who died and came alive again. Uh, to the, the city which claims it came back from the dead. 300 BC, Jesus says, I am the one who came back from the dead. To the church that's being beaten and oppressed and persecuted. To the church that thinks it, or not, it feels like it's losing everything. He says, I'm the first and the last, the one who was died and the one who now lives. To this church, Jesus says, I'm the first and the last, the one who died and came to life. And then he goes on to say something remarkable. Verse 9, Jesus, the one who made all things, says, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not. Jesus knows exactly what is happening in this church. And he knows exactly how they're feeling. He says, look, I, I know, I know your afflictions and your poverty. I know what life is like, but, but you are rich, remember. Look, you, you might not be rich uh, in worldly wealth, but you're rich in things that count. Look, I, I know, I know what it is like. So, I, I know what's happening. I, I'm not unaware of your situation. I know. And so, verse 10, don't be afraid. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. It, it can be hard for us to imagine, can't it, what, what life was like. I mean, it's hard to imagine what life was like 2,000 years ago anyway. But, but it, it feels especially hard to imagine what life is like for a church where we could not do what we're doing this morning. I don't know about you, I find that, that difficult to fathom. I've never in my life faced that. 
but it is not a problem that's simply limited to history. As we saw on the video, it is a reality, a reality for, for Christians all over the world today. There are people meeting at this exact moment who will have in the back of their minds that someone might come to the door and drag them to prison. It's hard for us to imagine, but not Jesus. Jesus knows, and he says, do not be afraid. He says, you may be put in prison, but don't be afraid. You may have to suffer, but don't be afraid. You may even be killed, but don't be afraid. He says, don't be afraid. So I tell you, the devil will put you, some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Now when he, he says 10 days there, it's unlikely that he literally means 10 days. Uh, rather, he may be referring to the, uh, there was a, a 10 day games that went on where Christians would have been fed to wild animals, put up against gladiators. But as uh, Archbishop Ben said in his video there, what he certainly means is that actually uh, this is a defined period. It will not last. It does have a start and it has an end. And throughout it all, because of that, it's in Jesus' hands. It is in his hands. So do not be afraid. Uh, do not be afraid, he's telling this little church. Do not be afraid. Keep going. Uh, this suffering, this time is in my hands. And if you keep going, if you are faithful, even to the point of death, I will give you life as your victor's crown. There was a... Um, uh, a man who probably heard this letter being read. He was a chap called Polycarp. Uh, he uh, lived from a, a, around 69 to 155 AD. Uh, as I said, he, he was from Smyrna. He may well have heard this letter. It, we, what we do know is that he was a disciple of John uh, and later uh, became the bishop of Smyrna. And as I said, uh, this sort of emperor worship just, just increased in its hostility. So by the time we get to sort of 155, uh, it, it was hugely aggressive. And so there was a, a mob of people that would go around uh, searching for Christians and they, they found Polycarp. And they came and they um, knocked on his door and he knew exactly why they'd come. He even offered them tea when they arrived. Um, and they said, look, Polycarp, you know why we're here. You know what's going on. Just, just denounce this Jesus. Just say, Caesar is Lord. This will go away. But he refused to. So they, they took him and they, they brought him before the court. And they said, look, Polycarp, you're an, you're an old man. You don't need this. Just, just say that, that Caesar is Lord and away with the atheists. Now when he says atheists, he's talking about Christians there. 
because the Christians don't believe in the gods. He says, away with the atheist. And, and Polycarp says no. And he, he points the finger back and says, away with the atheists. And points the people over there. Those that don't believe in the true Lord. And they give him another chance to say, look, you, you just don't need it. Just, just say Caesar is Lord. Give your offering. Be done with it. And then we get uh, his famous words. Eighty and six years I've served him. Jesus, that is. Eighty and six years I've served him. And he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king and saviour? So they took Polycarp and they piled up the wood and they set fire to the wood and it didn't take. So they then speared him, they they stabbed him. And he died. But Polycarp was a man that knew that the Christian hope is not uh, about deliverance from suffering. Uh, The Christian hope is not about avoiding suffering, although it's certainly not seeking it either. The Christian hope is not even necessarily about understanding suffering and why it's happening. Uh, no, the, the Christian hope is fix, fixing our eyes upon Jesus, fixing our eyes upon Christ who was dead and now alive again and lives forever. The Christian hope is following Jesus, following in Jesus' sufferings, be united to his sufferings, but so also being united to him in his life. That's the hope of the Christian. We may have suffering today, but we will have life tomorrow and forevermore. So how does this passage hit us today? As I said, uh, Smyrna is a a world that's alien to, to many of us, but it's not alien to lots of people in this world. It's not alien to people like um, Archbishop Ben. Uh, you may know the, the charity Open Doors, and each year they produce a, a worldwide watch list. Just that there are 50 countries where it's hardest to be a Christian. Uh, why not take a look? Uh, at the back of church, we've got some of, um, some of these uh, worldwide watches. They're from last year, but as you can imagine, the countries haven't changed. The order may be slightly different, but the countries are still the same. Just... Don't be unaware. Make yourself known about what is happening to brothers and sisters across the land. Pray for them. If you want to get the current list, go to the Open Doors website. and They'll send it to you for free. I did order some today, but unfortunately, mine's a bit late in ordering it. It hasn't come. But, but you can order it for free. It will come in, in the post to you. Pray for our brothers and sisters. Know what life is like. This is not just an academic idea. This is happening today. And we need to know about that. We need to know about our brothers and sisters, to pray for them, to encourage them, and then be encouraged by them as they live out their faith. But we also want to apply the same message. So uh, the, the message of Jesus is saying that, that following me is worth it. Uh, suffering for me is worth it. It's the same message that, that comes to our brothers and sisters in Nigeria as it is to us today. 
Uh, The difference might be that, that we won't necessarily be killed for our faith. Uh, The difference might be to say, following me every day is worth it. Being a living sacrifice for me every day uh, is worth it. Not just on some days, but every day. Following me is worth it. Deciding that today is a day I'm going to lay down what I want to do. I'm going to lay down uh, everything which I hold dear to me personally in that respect and say I'm going to follow Jesus and sacrifice for Jesus even if it's really tough and I'm going to do it tomorrow and the next day and the next day because it's worth it and then Jesus says to each one of us I know what life is like for you I know your tears. I know the difficulties that you'll have this lunchtime when you go back home to somebody that doesn't want to know what you've done this morning. Jesus knows. Uh, He says, I know what it will mean if people uh, find out what you think at work. If they, they see something on the news about what Christians believe, they say, are you one of them? Jesus knows what it feels like. Jesus knows what it feels like for you to, to be in a, a, a family or a club or a workplace where people actually think you're bad, you're immoral because of the things you believe. That you're the one who needs help. You're the one who's being oppressive. Jesus knows. The preacher might not know fully, but Jesus does. He knows exactly how you're feeling today. And he says, do not be afraid. Polycarp's quote that I gave you earlier wasn't quite complete. There's a second half to it, which is really the point of his hope. This is what it says. Eighty and six years I've served him, and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king and saviour? You threaten me with a fire that burns for a season, and after a little while is quenched. But you are ignorant of the fire of everlasting punishment that is prepared for the wicked. Verse 11. Whoever has ears, let them hear. What the Spirit says to the church is the one who is victorious will not be hurt by the second death. See, we, we often think that, um, that, that our life is like a piece of string. So we have our kind of our end and our, our beginning. And we, we, we kind of want the string to be as smooth as possible and as long as possible. That, that's kind of, you know, that, that's often our aim. But, but this is not really a complete picture. Uh, really, um, our, our string is, is like this, our life, if you want this way, is like this bit I've got in green here. You know, you've got your beginning bit, you've got your, you know, your seventh birthday party, or you had your bouncy castle, uh, you know, you've got your, your house, your job, your lot, and then uh, there comes a point uh, when we die. But um, that's not really a good picture at all, because actually that is part of our life there, but... Of course, 
the string goes on and on and on and on. goes on and on and on. Uh, you could um, go up and walk up uh, Neville Avenue. You go up past the garage, down past Tesco, down Westway and keep going. The string would keep going. You could get in your car, hold the ball of string if you could, drive on to Worthing, uh, the string would keep going. Because actually, yes, we have a, a, a period where we're on earth. but actually we're built for eternity. And what Polycarp knew was that that his, his time was defined. A fire will come, it may kill me, but it will go out. But there is a fire that we will face that will not go out. And what Jesus says to the church, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. What the Spirit says to the church is the one who is victorious, the one who holds to Christ, will not be hurt by the second death, will not face that fire, but will have life. So how can we keep going? Well, we know that This life is a defined period. It's 10 days. Those 10 days may be bitter or sweet, but it's 10 days. But there's eternity to come. And the question is, how are we going to spend that eternity? Are we going to be those that that push on faithfully for Christ, that hold to Christ, that that want to say, I will live for Christ today because I've got eternity with him where there is joy and peace and no more tears. And I won't be hurt by the second death. Or are we those that just want to pretend and cling to our little bit of string but then get the surprise and the shock that actually what is to come for those that don't trust in Jesus is far worse than anything we could ever imagine. So what will it mean for you today? Jesus, the one who's the first and the last, says, do not be afraid. I have won. So keep going today. What will this Jesus mean to you? And how will you live for this Jesus today? Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this letter. We thank you for that great encouragement that Jesus lifts up our heads and our hearts to to see the one who is dead and alive again. Help us to, to see our lives as that time today, but actually that time in eternity. That today we may live for you knowing that tomorrow we will be with you forever. In Jesus' name, amen.